Hello and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, and today I am chatting with Miguel Ariza Maderos, who is an active member of the Polyglot community. And uh, we dived into multiple aspects about his journey in terms of how he got started into multilingualism. He did grow up bilingual uh, with Spanish, but how he changed to expand that to other languages, how he got into the language learning community in multiple different ways, and how he practices multiple languages, and even how he teaches uh, other languages. So let's hear his story. It's a great story. I'm very happy to share with you guys. So diving right on in, here we go. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 126. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, and today I'm joined by Miguel, who is going to be giving me his very fascinating story. He is the multilingual uh, Bronxite, and I want to hear all about that. And uh, he is an active member of the language community, and he's going to tell us his story now. So let's kick it off from the very beginning. Like you come from a bilingual background, is that right? Yes, Benny. Uh, first off, uh, hello everyone. Uh, thank you for listening in and joining us. Yes, uh, I was born in New York City in the borough of the Bronx. And my family is from Mexico. They're from the state of Puebla in the central part of the country. Uh, Puebla is an area that's known to have a lot of mountains and they have a dish that's very popular over there. And uh, I was born in the late 80s and I grew up in New York uh, most of my life. And I had this experience where at home I could speak English with my family and outside of the home, it could have been a different version of Spanish or mostly English because of the tremendous diversity that New York has. So I I did spend some time in New York, but I didn't get quite into the multilingual culture there. How do you like how many languages do you typically come across uh, in New York and what's the language scene like in the city? Well, in, in the few neighborhoods that I lived in, uh, it's basically has just been English and Spanish. Uh, I grew up in poor areas where you had minorities, African Americans and Caribbeans, usually like Puerto Rico or the Dominican Republic. And there are some special things about the city where in particular neighborhoods, you will find people from different countries and when I started my language learning journey, studying alone, uh, I started seeking out these communities to try to uh, practice languages with them. And as I saw more and more of it, uh, it was quite astounding to, to see all of this. So in terms of your language learning journey, what, like, cause you already had the Spanish as a, as part of your family and by being multilingual growing up or bilingual growing up, what inspired you to then invest time into becoming a multilingual or a polyglot? Wow, it's an interesting journey. Uh, I guess it starts like everyone else where you're forced to study a foreign language in high school. And in my case, it was Italian. 
And we studied it for three years and then we had an exam to do. But we could pass all the exams. I did very well. But when it came to speaking, uh, I, I was horrible. And there was a short experience where I met my teacher's parents because they flew in from Italy for a, a little fair in high school. And uh, my teacher told me to help her father take her into the bathroom. And when it came time to speak, I had to use hand signals because I wasn't able to speak Italian. This was not something that was fo we focused on in school. It was only learning vocabulary, passing exams, but nope, I did not learn how to speak in those three years. So what, what happened from there? Like what, what changed that experience of not even being able to uh, help somebody to the bathroom in Italian to then getting into multilingualism? So fast forward a few years when I started to learn French and I made this decision to study on my own in university. Um, but once again, I still had this issue of not being able to speak to people. And I felt lost in, uh, when I continued studying in, in university when, after I was finished with my first one and went to the second one. Uh, I had wanted to study computer science but my university required me to study math as well. And I was horrible at math. Like I failed calculus with flying colors. And so um, in order to get some electives done, I chose an elective on Greek, Greek civilization. And I happened to like the class really much that I had decided uh, I want to learn the modern language. And so I started looking for some apps uh, online to study alone. And I started studying the numbers, basic readings, uh, irregular verbs that are used uh, very often, some adjectives. And after about a month or two, I decided I want to try to say these things somewhere. So there is a neighborhood in New York called Astoria in Queens, where they still have a good Greek population. And I went into a restaurant and I started to uh, say hi in Greek and I started to try to order food. And uh, the people working there were astounded that someone who they don't think is Greek could start to speak the language a little bit. And from there, how did your journey then take you into the online language learning community? And what's your experience being integrating yourself into that? Well, then after that, uh, I started relearning French. And what I also needed at the time was a place where I could start speaking the language. So I started looking for language exchange events. And so I found one that, that was really popular on weekends. And I started to go and become a regular. And then eventually there were some regular members as well who heard about the global language community because this was around the time that some of these conferences that we know really well started to appear. And so then uh, we discovered you as well uh, because uh, you had the website fluent in three months. I started reading a lot of your content uh, as well. And we were able to see you uh, in, a, in a bookstore in Brooklyn one year when you 
were just talking and you were promoting the fluent in three bucks but fluent in three months book i do and i do remember that it was it was a very hot basement that i did that in <laughs> i don't know if you remember that i definitely remember sweating a lot that day oh that was great but yeah it was a hot day a hot day in the summer <laughs> And, and si since then, so since uh, kind of getting a taste of the language community, you've uh, gotten more active in the events side of things. And like most recently, you wrote a blog post about the 2022 Polyglot Gathering. Even though you weren't attending, you were digitally attending. So like obviously that that gives you great inspiration because you were very positive about uh, the, the whole event in your post. So what do you think makes the polyglot community special and worth somebody who, who may be intimidated by the idea of, of hanging out with other language learners to consider potentially joining one of these events, whether digitally or in person? Wow. Like one thing that I love about these events is meeting the people. Everyone has their own experiences in language learning, like some of them also have their languages that they like to study and all of us come together at these events to share our experiences we practice languages with each other and because we're all learners uh, no one judges each other by their abilities to speak a good language if they're good or not everyone has that opportunity to be free and make mistakes and it, we have we are a very supportive community and uh, we welcome people who are from different parts of the world like different races and we it's all like-minded people as well and it's a wonderful thing that uh, many many people in the community have created and we want to maintain this really welcoming environment absolutely and even in the absolute earliest events where many of the people attending were the best faces known on YouTube, there was this initial worry before we met all each other that it might be um, a kind of an, a bash of egos of, of people trying to show off or something. But even from the very start, it was completely supportive and everybody um, not judging others and because we're all self-conscious of the mistakes we make. And every polyglot event that I've gone to, even in my head, if I might be thinking, oh, they're going to judge me if I make these mistakes, it's always just in my head. And the people themselves are always very supportive and very friendly. And it's a great opportunity to practice languages. And you've even uh, helped with the event in Brazil, the Polyglotar event. So could you tell us a bit about that? Well, I'm only going to be a participant in it, but I did speak at the hybrid polyglotar event last year. And there was a little workshop in Spanish about laddering. And uh, you actually helped me put this one together as well, Benny, because many years back, you wrote an article about laddering. And I used a little bit of what you said and what some of the other big polyglots have said and my own experiences as well because uh for instance when i got to a good level of french i started using asimil's book series to try to study various other languages and it's a really good book but most of those books are only available in french so 
uh, at least for me, it helps me to maintain my French while learning a new language. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of laddering. I'm glad you could you could share that in your talk. And in terms of inspiring uh, newcomers to the polyglot community, what kind of words of wisdom would you say for somebody who might be considering going to an event, whether it's the polyglot there in, in Brazil or the upcoming polyglot conference in Cholula in Mexico, and they may feel like they're not good enough, they're, they are not polyglot enough to go to the event. What would you say to somebody who was thinking that? Well, it's not always necessary to have a certain amount of languages to, to come. You have to have the love of languages and language learning to, to come to these events. Everyone is very welcoming. Uh, we are people who are happy to have new people all the time uh, who can bring their what they have to the table and share their experiences. Uh, if they want to be speakers, they're welcome to be able to speak about various things that they know about uh, regarding the language world. And those who just want to be participants, like they're free to come practice their languages, uh, help people out as well if they're learning their native language. It's a very welcoming community, no matter what you look like or who you are. Uh, we're not a group that judges others like we're very supportive and welcoming and we we're always happy to have new people all the time because then this community grows absolutely yeah so uh taking a, a different direction um as you know from my story that i lived in spain initially and i did not learn spanish and then i had to uh, pick it up with a kind of second boost later and when i went to spain i had this misconception that just physically being in the country as an absolute beginner was just going to magically make me learn Spanish. And that wasn't the case. And there have been only very unique times when I have been successful in arriving in the country with absolutely zero words. And you've actually written about this yourself, that you've said that immersion can help you learn a language, but it really depends on your skill level. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, back in 2018, I went to Poland to do volunteer work and I spent about a month in the country, but I did not have a good level of Polish and I only was able to say the basic things, uh, like, hello, uh, can I get something? Thank you. And so there were many situations where I, I needed to go into stores uh, to buy things. Uh, I needed to call the hostel in order for me to come into the hostel. Sometimes like I was late and the door was closed. And there, if I didn't know enough of the language, I can't build on it to, to learn more and like it made me wish uh, I had studied more because there was even one point where in, in Wrocław, I was trying to buy a top up for my SIM card and the, the girl that was in the store, uh, she couldn't speak. So she couldn't speak English very well. And then me on the other end, uh, I couldn't speak Polish very well. So we were just trying to communicate that I want to buy a top-up for my SIM card. And um, I felt bad when she apologized and said, like, I'm sorry, I can't speak English very well. But um, 
I reflected on that later on and it, I thought it should be me that I should be apologizing because I'm in your country where you speak Polish and I should have uh, studied a little more. So what, what lessons have you taken away from that experience and how would you do things differently in future? Well, when I planned this uh, whole idea to move to Brazil, uh, to come together with my now wife, I need, I was conscious that I needed to improve Portuguese, uh, because in Brazil, there's not a lot of people that speak English. And, uh, her son, who's now my stepson was still learning English as well. And uh, he still is now. So his, his abilities are not as good yet. So I had reasons to learn Portuguese, like not just to communicate with people to go shopping or do the bureaucratic stuff that even now I kind of still struggle with, but uh, basic communication with family and friends was also very, very important. And so I started to learn some vocabulary, uh, listen a little bit and, and have conversations with my then girlfriend who helped me a lot because it was about transitioning from the European accent to the Brazilian accent, like the one that she has from Bahia, and then learning some more vocabulary and building the confidence that I didn't have when I went to visit her for the first time, just continue to be more confident until the time that I moved here. And so when I moved here, I, I had a really decent level of Portuguese and I was able to speak with her, with my stepson. And now, now I feel really good about myself with, with my Portuguese, although I probably still struggle with the bureaucratic stuff. Uh, and sometimes like every now and then there's new things that I learned, like uh, some objects that they use here to clean the floors that they don't use in the U.S. Like I had to learn that stuff as well. So it's been a good process. So in terms of how things have switched from your experience in Poland, like obviously you arrived with a bit of momentum. You already had a certain level of Portuguese. But what have you done uh, since arriving in terms of what resources do you use to study and how do you study to make sure that you're continually improving your level? Well, I don't really like to watch TV. Uh, so I've tried to read articles online. Uh, we've had the local newspapers from the city that I read articles from. I speak with the people uh, and I've met a lot of my wife's friends. Uh, we've traveled to the state of Sara with where my in-laws and all my wife's family is located and having conversations through them. Uh, I even learned some uh, Sarensi slang as well. Yeah, like. Um, be, being here, I've been able to try to immerse myself a little better. Uh, and even sometimes, like, since we live in these condominiums that are very common here, I try to speak with strangers as well. And these conversations have been good as well. Like, even just saying, like, uh, it's been a rough week, eh? Of course. And in terms of maintaining your life as a polyglot, you... Uh, are practicing several languages this year. You're French, obviously you're Portuguese, both Brazilian and European. 
Slovene, Polish, Serber, Croatian, and Slovak. So how do you balance practicing between all of these languages? And how do you maintain the ones you're comfortable with already versus build upon the ones that you're, you're weaker on? This isn't the easy process all the time because there are times where I only have time to work on one or two languages. So there are moments where I had to drop one because there are just so many hours of the day for me when I'm able to study, when I don't have to work, when I don't have my family obligations. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I was taking Slovene lessons on italki with a really wonderful tutor. And after a while, I started doing Polish on Duolingo again. And I even developed my own uh, little method for me to try to learn more Polish vocabulary. I, I would try to do new lessons every one or twice, twice a week, one or two new Polish lessons. And then I go to the practice section and I practice all of the stuff that I knew, plus the new stuff that pops in. And once I'm able to learn those new vocabulary words, then I progress a little more uh, without worrying about the extra stuff that uh, Duolingo has nowadays. I try to keep this more simple and I've discovered that this works for me. And how has your learning approach evolved? Like, what do you do differently nowadays that you weren't doing maybe, say, 10 years ago? Well, when I was trying to learn Greek, uh, I was going through that process of trial and error because this was the first foreign language that I studied by myself. So I was trying to read newspapers. I tried to listen to music or watch shows. And I discovered that music works for me, that reading newspapers uh, was sometimes challenging because uh, Greek sometimes uses more complex vocabulary in the articles. Uh, but that if I'm able to read a smaller article, uh, this is where uh, it helps me better because of comprehensible input. If I see that I can understand most of the content, plus you have a few little words here and there that are new for me, I, I can learn these. And if I see these words again through reading smaller articles, I can eventually develop that curiosity to think, well, I've seen this word like four or five times. Let me see what it means. And then it gets stuck in my head and I learn it. And as well as being a language student yourself and having studied all these languages, you're also a language teacher. So uh, what is your process of teaching and what kind of things do you like to focus on and encourage your students to do? Well, for my students, uh, a lot of them have good levels of English, but that they many of them lack a time to practice English. Some of them don't have confidence. So what I do is that I try to create a safe environment for them so that they're free to make mistakes, that they're open to uh, having feedback and having corrections so that they can continue to get better. And I think uh, supporting the students is very important because this will keep their motivations up. This will make them feel more relieved about their, their English abilities. 
and they will continue to work on their English, keep their study routine and their habits and get better because I believe that uh, supporting a student is very important. Absolutely. And in terms of uh, where your language journey is going to continue from now, I'm very curious. Obviously, you're going to be presenting again at the next Polyglotar event in uh, in Brazil. But like, what other languages do you think you might learn, and what other processes do you think you're going to um, attach to your experience as a polyglot? Well, for the moment. Uh... I might try to go to next year's Polyglot Gathering, and I might have a hunch that it could stay in Poland because of this tradition that the gathering has to stay in one particular country for three years. So I started to continue improving my Polish for that reason. Uh, I was studying a little Ukrainian as well, but I find that uh, I feel more focused on Polish. And so I, I'll have to put it to the side uh, for a bit until I feel more confident with Polish. And like sometimes I have these random thoughts at my head that, oh, I could study Catalan. Uh, and I had friends tell me this year that ah, you're from that area of Mexico where they're having the conference this year. You should study Nahuatl. And I thought about it. Uh, I don't really know anyone in my family who speaks the language. So it, it's a nice idea as well. So I think for the upcoming six months or maybe one year, I just want to keep uh, improving some of the languages that need improvement. I, I like to maintain my French because I speak with a friend who I met on italki once a week when it's possible, and it's an exchange. And with my Portuguese, like I, I will be okay because I have friends with whom I speak the European variant. Uh, if you few times a month and uh, with the Brazilian Portuguese, I maintain it speaking with everybody and uh, living here in Brazil. And as you know, this is the language hacking podcast and you followed a uh, few of my things for a while. So I'd be very curious to hear what is your definition of language hacking? Well, language hacking for me is finding things that allow you to not feel like you're studying a language like everyone else. At the, this is your ability to learn a language, uh, and it doesn't always have to be the traditional method. Uh, I like to listen to music, and I've used the music for me to improve my languages, and that's how I felt I hack the language at times. Uh, like I like to read small articles. It has to be things that are enjoyable to you to make them feel like I'm not studying. Like this, this feels like I'm learning things natural because I'm doing things that I'm interested in in my first languages. So when I uh, try to do these things in the new language, I learn the vocabulary easier because I already like to do these things. Excellent answer. Well, this has been a fascinating chat with you. I'll make sure people have access to the link to your blog and the show notes of um, of the podcast. 
as well as links to your social media so people can follow you and find out a bit more. So thank you very much for sharing your story with us today. Ah, Thank you, Benny, for the invitation to speak. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yep. And until the next time, I'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Great stuff there. So at the end of these chats, I do like to give you guys my uh, biggest takeaway from the interviews. And uh, this one definitely is something that reminds me of um, my my own personal relationship with languages and upcoming adventures that I've got is his uh, his kind of cautionary tale of what happened with his Polish story that he really emphasized that it's important to do the work before you arrive in the country. And this is uh, ringing true for me, especially right now, because my next country coming up is Thailand. And the temptation is there to just uh, leave it till later. And when I arrive in Thailand, I can uh, do studies then and I can kind of build on my Thai as I uh, as I'm in the country, but really I'm going to do myself so many favors. If I take this next month that I have, I have a whole month before I even go there to build upon the little that I do remember to get lessons so that I'm beginning to get those initial bursts of conversation. And so that I arrive with momentum because otherwise I'll be interacting with people and they may apologize to me that their, their English may not be as good as they wish it were, which is obviously not a situation I want to be in where someone's apologizing to me while I'm in their country. So um, uh, Miguel's uh, story there reminded me that even someone who's an experienced polyglot who has dived into multiple languages can still fall into this trap of arriving in a country and just not having done enough work to have made the experience truly worthwhile. And I'm going to try to take that cautionary tale and apply it uh, to my upcoming experience with Thai and give it a bit more of a kickstart over these next weeks so that I, um, I feel a little bit more confident as I'm arriving. And you'll be hearing more about my Thai experience in, um, in the Ask Benny episodes, of course, but uh, Miguel has experience in a lot of languages and he still ran, uh, ran into this challenge. And it's a good reminder. I mean, I learned this lesson at the very start that just arriving in the country is not necessarily going to change your language experience. But it's a very good reminder that you do have to do the work ahead of time. He's also reminded me that a supportive teacher is very important. So I'll make sure I have a very encouraging teacher when I do find one who's going to um, yeah, give me that positive energy that I'm going to want to come back for more lessons. And I like that that's the way that he maintains his lessons with uh, his students. Obviously, plenty more that we talked about, but those are my biggest takeaways. I hope you guys enjoyed this. And as always, feel free to shoot me a message on social media. I'm at Irish Polyglot uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, TikTok. And I'm at Language Hacking also on Instagram, my language uh, sp specific account where I only post language updates. And I want to hear how you guys are doing and message me and let me know if you're enjoying these podcasts or if you have any questions that you want me to answer in my standalone episodes. So until the next time, I wish everybody a very happy language learning.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.